Hi, welcome to the Holy Fuck Podcast. I'm your host, Alexandra Roxo, author of Fuck Like a Goddess, creator of Radical Awakenings, transformational coach, and student of life. I'm here to stand with you asking questions about what is sacred and what is profane and the space between. Enjoy. Hi, darlings. Welcome, welcome. On today's podcast, I have Nikki Stewart and Elizabeth Marglin, the creators of the Wild and Sacred Feminine deck. I happen to have had the pleasure of being introduced to them three times. My acupuncturist was like, you got to meet them. Someone else was like, you got to. Oh, Kimberly Ann Johnson, who's been on the podcast, was like, you've got to meet them and someone else. And I thought, okay, okay, it's a sign. I've got to meet these two women. They are such wise mamas, elders, creatrixes. I I I got so much from just being with them in this podcast, and uh, I so appreciate people who have been walking the path longer than me, sharing some of their wisdom. So I hope you do too. Enjoy. Hi, everybody. I am very excited to have a conversation with two women that I just met recently who have created a deck called the Wild and Sacred Feminine Deck. It's an oracle deck, and it's so beautiful. I have it here in front of me, um, and the drawings, and I'll, I'll, I'll lift it up so if someone does see this part of our video, but you guys can follow the link to have a look at the cards because they're so beautiful. And um yeah, that was the context where I met these two creatrixes, if you will. Welcome. So happy to have you here. Thank you. We're happy to be here with you. Awesome. So I think I've only had a few other people on the podcast that have come in twos. And so I just want to identify people to whose voice is who. So I'm sitting here with Elizabeth and Nikki. Will you each introduce yourselves and just say a little bit about who you are and then people can hear your voice and so if they just have you in their um, headphones or whatever, they can distinguish who's talking. <laughs> Good idea. I'm, I'm Elizabeth, and I'm one of the co-authors of the Wild and Sacred Feminine Deck. And I'm Nikki, and it's uh, nice to be here. And um, yeah, I'm the other co-author. And I will also presence, you won't hear her voice, but Jenny Kostecki Shaw is the artist who created the deck, and she's in Taos. So we are um, up outside of Boulder, Colorado, and she's not with us today, and um, yet she's very much present. Mm, awesome, awesome. Well, I would love to hear a little bit from each of you about your journeys. I'm sure, like every woman, you've lived a wide, big, interesting, heartbreaking life, <laughs> and which you absolutely I would never ask you to try to condense that into two sentences or into two minutes, but I would love to hear just a little bit of an introduction about who each of you are as women in the world today. <laughs> women in the world today. I think I'm a woman. Well, part of my journey is not being in the world. Um, and um, I think one of the pivotal experiences of my life has been spending eight years in India with a teacher mm. um, and then trying to reintegrate all of that um, back into this world. And um, part of that reintegration was the first deck me and Nikki did um, the mother's wisdom deck because everything sort of unraveled when children came on the scene. Um, so they say, you know, you may think you're enlightened and then go spend three days with your family um, just to test that out. And, um, that is a huge test of where you are in your spiritual path. So, um, is the it the same? Is it like the same, like spend three days with your family or have a family? Is it kind of the <laughs> same kind of role of them? Okay, cool. Yeah. Become a mother. And also you'll see how spiritual quote unquote yeah. spiritual you are. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, we did the mother's wisdom deck and then, we wanted to turn that into a different project after it went out of print. And then Shambhala approached us with this deck. Um, so basically I'd say I've just been. Can I back you up for a second? Because yeah. you, you sort of like got my attention at eight years in India. Yeah. And um, that could mean a great many things. And I'd love to hear a little bit about that. Were you living in an ashram? Like, were you practicing yoga? Were you working at the house of the dying? Like, what were you doing eight years in India? Tell us. God, I kind of did all those things. Okay. Um, 
But I think, I think, I mean, not to back up too much, but I, I come from a family of academics and intellectuals. And in college, I was studying Eastern religion, not wanting to have an academic experience of it, but wanting to have the actual experience of what I was reading about. So after college, I went to India. I wasn't sure why beyond that. Um, and then I met a teacher that was very compelling and I just wanted to be with him until he died. Mm. And then, um, so it was, but he did not believe in ashrams because his idea, he's in the um, non-duality Advaita school, um, if he was in any school at all, that, I mean, there's no, it's all a transit lounge, it's all impermanent. So an ashram sort of counters that with this idea of legacy and permanence. Mm -hmm. And um, so I was basically immersed in this very deep dive teaching that um, was astounding to me to feel like that I met someone fully realized in this life yeah. and what that could look like. Um, since so, I have not met many people that like met a guru this lifetime. I don't know if me and my friends, we've met many great teachers, uh, but I think we come from a generation that's like, we've glorified the like, ah, oh, if only this lifetime I had a set guru, like I would like that would, that would be so helpful. <laughs> and, and I'm curious and don't worry. Um, Nikki, we're going to have, you're going to tell your story too very soon here. Um, and we'll get into the deck too. But Elizabeth, when you met this teacher, did you have, like, what was it like for you to decide you're going to spend eight years devoted to a teacher or, or to, yeah. like, what was that like if you can share or invite us into that experience? Well, I had some little background, a little academic background and then I was in India for maybe nine months doing this sort of spiritual traveler circuit, Goa, Hampi, all the places that people, Rishikesh, Rajasthan, and people were, you know, people on the spiritual, on the travelers, but yeah, anyone who's traveled in these um, th more third world countries know there's like a little traveler scene and people talk and then you start going to places and people were talking about Vipassana, and so I did a Vipassana retreat. Um, but when I met my teacher, it was, um, the experience was, and this was his description of a true teacher, is my mind got quiet. And there was no foul play or manipulation. His presence, mm. what he was radiating, created a field that was undeniable. And... Um, it was so rare and so exquisite and so what a relief for the mind to finally be quiet mm -hmm. that um, it wasn't like, oh, I will stay with you for eight years. It's like I, I couldn't do anything else. I just mm -hmm. I just wanted to be in his presence. Mm -hmm. So um, things followed from there. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, how beautiful. The only other reference point I have for that type of experience is hearing Ram Das and any of Neem Karoli Baba's followers talk about just wanting to just sit at his feet and never wanting to leave. And, yeah. you know, the way that they described it from what I heard when I went to the retreat in Maui and um, got to hear lots of stories one of Ramdas's last years doing that, but he wasn't speaking, but a lot of other people were, and they, they spoke of it in a way of like, they just were touched of a, by a field of unconditional love. And um, I like hearing that, you know, there's different kind of transmissions from different teachers or gurus, right? Like unconditional love or that kind of stillness of the mind. Um, and so you stayed with him until he left, dropped his body, as Ramdas would say. Yeah, and actually, he's a very much akin to Neem Karoli Baba, like s similar in a lot of ways. Um, mm. Yeah, and then I, I actually went to his teacher, it was Ramana Maharshi in South India, mm. he was a mm. holy mountain, and I lived there for a few years. 
But um, the interesting thing before we turn it over to Nikki is that I had an idea of what enlightenment would look like. And when I watched him, it was totally different. It was all the things. And underneath was that beautiful emptiness. So it's kind of set the stage for this wild and sacred feminine that it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be one way. Like he did things that were astounding and surprising and just mundane. Like he watched cricket. He loved to eat too many sweets and was overweight <laughs> and diabetic. Like it wasn't like he was this never eating sadhu right. who lived a pure life. He was, he was ribald. He was hilarious. He was, um, clear he would get angry and he <laughs> loved to watch games on tv so meaning there's no we have an idea about how things are going to look but um mm. the what rolls through all that is indifferent to appearance and that so um it kind of allowed me to see that the wild and sacred opens the door to everything mm. yeah and that it looks different especially than the judeo-christian mindset of what is sacred right like that eating sweets and watching tv and i don't know all of that it doesn't have yeah. to be excluded thank you for sharing that it's Thanks lovely to yeah i mean we're all in this community of listeners and the women that i serve we're all seekers in our different ways we're seeking healing or seeking seeking wisdom, seeking elders, um, lineages that we can trust, uh, people that have really walked the path that aren't just talking about, you know, doing a few classes here and there and then creating themselves as an expert. But women like you all who maybe you're not, you know, traditionally like in the spotlight, but you've, you've really walked the path of, um, the spiritual journey, you know, so I appreciate hearing that it's, it's special to hear, hear the, those kind of stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nikki, <laughs> I oh. imagine yours is completely different. I mean, oh, that's just what it, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that really strikes me or stirs in me about what you were sharing, Elizabeth, is that, that energy that rolls through all things and how an enlightened being is a channel for that energy and how, mm -hmm. Maybe that's my seeking. Like, how do we become present to that energy? And, you know, we've had the honor of really delving into that and working on this deck. Like, how do we tap into that as women, as beings, whoever we are, um, that we're kind of clearing the blocks so that that can kind of come through? And that's sort of what I hear in that. And, like, what, I mean, I have some parallels, academic background, but unmet. I mean, intellectually met, but unmet in the experiential mm -hmm. in that world. So um, I left graduate school and just went to California, called um, largely by um, an elder man um, who is a great uncle of my partner. And he served as a true mentor. Um, for both of us. So the chance to be with an elder um, mm. and to, to um, sit with them and have in, in Julian's case, like so much um, devotion to supporting others, you know, mm. and having that modeled and the ways that he encouraged me um, on my path and to unlearn what I had learned in academia so that I could be more receptive to mm. what to me felt more important, what felt more mm. meaningful. And so I, you know, that led me to um, do a lot with nature, a lot of vision fast work um, to. Well, don't have, skip over that so quickly. Um, okay. I hear about that too. So I'm hearing, Nikki, that one of your pathways in to your own soul or spirit or whatever you want to kind of call, call it, wrap it in, was through nature and did you mm -hmm. say fa fasting and was it you said vision something about can you tell us slow down with that one tell us more what that looks like because it's so different than the path yeah. of going to India and I think it's so lovely to hear that there are just so many paths in you know and, and we're all so unique as to our souls like why they're drawn to certain things so I want to hear I want to hear <laughs> yeah I would say that my primary path has been through 
earth-based traditions mm-hmm. and my own unmediated experience in nature. So mm-hmm. that would be my temple, like being in that natural world and um, the profound experience and my edge at that time to go by myself, you know, facilitated and supported by people who do this work, um, but to spend four days and four nights alone in Death Valley and mm-hmm. all the possibilities I could come up with in my mind that was like, you know, I was most likely going to die, you know, (laughs) like in my mind at that time, just to put myself beyond what I thought was reasonable, but also in Death Valley also, it's like a little, you know, it's it's a double hitter, double hitter there. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't bode well. But totally life changing. And one of the things that I loved about it, there's a couple, the other people and the way that it was facilitated where each person is telling their story. And then that story, so there's an intention formation, and then you're out on the land, and you're um, really in a process of claiming whatever that intention was, as it is so you wouldn't have named it if it weren't already so. And so the experiences then of the time on the land, you come back and you share with that community and how important community is. Um, And then to be witnessed in that community in this claiming through the story. But one of the beautiful things is then the facilitators mirror that story, but they do it in a way that for me felt like it was out of time and space in that it wasn't about me anymore. I transcended to this place of being like, um, almost like mythological and everybody mm-hmm. did, you know, so you can see yourself from, with a different perspective and a different respect and awe for who you are on this earth at this time and mm-hmm. what is your work to do and how it's not, while it can seem very mundane, it is always sacred. And mm-hmm. whatever happened in that time, even though it felt mundane in that time at that four days, which was really, you know, in that threshold of ceremony is sacred. And so that was a beautiful um, chance for me to kind of map how those things work together, the sacred and the mundane and how we can elevate ourselves um, in our daily life by putting a different lens on it. And Mm -hmm. so that was really beautiful. And then the the other thing that I um, love is the opportunity to have there's nature's always accessible. I mean, it can be harder to access if you're in the middle of a city, but there is always the opportunity to be in awe and nature for me is that doorway. So Mm -hmm. to be in awe of, um, you know, what we're surrounded by and then how Mm -hmm. that calls forth, what is really, you know, awe inspiring and awesome within us too. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So nature based traditions, complementing that, you know, whether it was in Peru or in, um, you know, ancient traditions really all over the world and trying to find the elders, like where are the elders? And one of the things that really um, over time became apparent to me is so many of the elders were men and yet many of them would speak to the women that were behind them, like who, who had their back and Mm -hmm. who did they turn to when they needed ceremony? And so I grew really curious about who were these Mm -hmm. women? And mm. so that's kind of been a thread that I followed too. And yeah, and then motherhood coming out of that time and then landing in motherhood and being like completely brought to my knees and wow. recognizing that um, these this was a whole other level of teaching for me and, and how um, applicable everything I had done was to you know, being sleep deprived and being pushed to my edges and all your childhood traumas get triggered. And, um, so it's, it's like all there present and not on your own timing. It's like, it's just all of a sudden it's kind of being fed to you, force fed to you and it's rapid fire sometimes. And so I feel like there, for me, uh, was a great need to dive into that. And, uh, that's, where the deck, the first deck that we wrote together really grew out of our parallel experience of working through that. And I'm trying to find motherhood as a spiritual path or recognize the opportunity that it was, if you could meet it that way. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Yeah. It's a great, um, a great place to continue on from is, is I haven't seen a ton of examples of people really standing for motherhood as a spiritual practice or maybe revealing um, 
the depth of, like you said, being brought to your knees. And how did that conversation start between the two of you? Were you friends? Was it like, oh my God, I'm struggling, me too? How did that, how did you all come together with that similar, like we're at a similar point on the path, A and B, let's create art from it? Well, I mean, there's so much synchronicity in in it as well. Um, We had met, we live in the same small town outside of Boulder. um, And we'd met briefly around, kind of almost like our academic background, like as writers. Um, and yet we both had young children. And as I was saying, so I was brought to my knees and I was out on a walk one day and just recognized like I needed some more support and I really love decks and um, felt like there, there's got to be a deck out there that can speak to my experience. Mm. I came home and found that there really wasn't. I mean, I could, I could, uh, translate through any deck, but I wanted one that was really like naming what some of the experiences in motherhood were. And so I thought, well, then that needs to be remedied. (laughs) So, and I approached Elizabeth really kind of in, in trust, like here's this other person who's a writer. And also we have been on spiritual paths and yet that for both of us looks different right now. So how can we um, collectively uh, harvest what we have learned and bring it into the present of this, of the moment of motherhood? And you mean, Elizabeth was totally game and we really didn't know what we were doing, but (laughs) sometimes that's the best in my experience is just to go for it and to figure it out as you go, because there's an immediacy then to, what we were bringing to it wasn't really like premeditated. Like we hadn't planned our whole lives to do something like this. It was just a need that we could see that needed to be fulfilled. And um, we were going to do our best to, to do that for other women. Yeah. How was it for, for you, Elizabeth? Like, was there a point like where you recognized, Oh shit motherhood is really putting me through the fires like uh, this is the practice now like I want to hear that for both of you like what were those moments where you're like this is my new practice like I thought during an hour and a half of asana or meditation was hard ha lol here we are now and we're in the big leagues like what what is it what was that like for you are there any moments that stand out for each of you It's all a bit of a blur that early. I know, it's, been, it's been how how many years ago was that? Yeah, I mean, my children are twelve and fifteen, and, okay. and I think those first three years are just um, brutal and lovely at the same time. You know, mm. and I see my friends with young kids, and I can't believe anyone would do that anymore. <laughs> it's like you are entering the longest marathon of your life. Um, because there's so many, it's so many changes in identity and time and personal space and privacy and um, being receptive to that and not trying to hustle through it, which is sort of my thing. Is like that's you know, it's, you know some women, for example, right after they have. Um, a child the next week they'll go to Target and buy the diapers and then but with this other lens you stay in that liminal state um you stay in that sacred you don't just try to get back there's no getting back anymore um so you let that change come through you but there's just so many things with our culture and and having to some women having to work and juggle and so I don't want to get off track in those conversations that there are plenty of but um I think that I was, I think that when Nikki approached me about doing the the Mother's Wisdom deck, uh, there was a feeling of, of uh, loss and erasure in, in mm. my identity. Mm. I was trying to figure it out. That was that integration piece, because interestingly, my teacher was saying, and this is, you know, tradition and inviter that you are not the story, you are not your mind, you are not this, you are not that, neti neti, not this, not that, you are the pure consciousness, which was supported living in India for a while, but then coming back and having all these other things, I didn't know what was my true story anymore, and especially adding some kids to that. Um, and there's then... Uh, 
a way we identify with the wounded parts of ourselves and become locked onto that story rather than this larger context of who we have the potential to be and what runs through us, um, regardless of story. So I think she came to me at a time in my story when I didn't, yeah, I, had, I didn't know what, where my story was and what was the true story. And this was a, a way of uh, integrating the holy and the... Um, mm. The fucked up too, not the fucked up and <laughs> that fucked up in the way you use it, like um, a total potential and and catastrophe. Another Zorba the Greek describes marriage, kids, and family as the total catastrophe. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's a way of those things, and I had a very difficult marriage and. Um, challenges, extra challenges with my kids, though I think all kids are extra challenging. (laughs) So anyway, I don't, she came to me when I was uh, back in the um, second round, my second rodeo of seeking in a way, Mm. what, what was the truth in this experience? Mm. And what, what is the truth that I could offer to other women that we could offer to other women? Mm. Yeah, it's so it's so beautiful and vulnerable and something that I still, yeah, feel that I want to hear more about in general. Like what are those those trials and tribulations and like the word that stands out, the erasure of an identity and whether it's motherhood or disease or not that those are in any way similar, but like an illness, you know, something that creates that, right? It could there are so many life events that can create um, a total groundlessness. Um, and it's, it's, I agree, or, or maybe it's not an agree or disagree, but I see people meeting other people in those moments where uh, something's kind of got to give or we're, we're needing to pour ourselves into something. And um, as artists and writers for you all, how did that come to be a card deck? It's like, hi, we're both going through something. It's intense. It's catap- catapulting us onto a new part of our spiritual journey. There's not a guidebook and there are no no kind of decks out there. Um, how did you get from that kind of shaky unravel to let's create something? So are we, we're sort of talking about the Mother's Wisdom deck still because that yeah. was sort of it first template, but we have matured in our ability to meet the second deck that had some interesting um, new maturities that came about because we had more bandwidth. Um, but Yeah, we have time. Don't worry. We're going to get to that deck. I think it was... I we it was amazing that we started from nothing and then um, I think we collect we just talked about what we wanted to see in the deck the archetypes the qualities and then I think we used we used a deck to create the deck meaning we used cards I mean maybe you can fill this piece in but we created. To create an oracle deck, we needed to. We created an oracle to create the oracle deck. I mean, it was complicated, but we we had to. What Einstein says is the answer comes from a different place of thinking. We had to come from a. You had to come from a different place to create it. You know, we couldn't. So you just, had to kind of get outside of the muck that you were standing in in order to create it. Is that kind of what you're? Well, to use, to create something that would be a divinatory tool, we need to divine. Like, mm-hmm. we couldn't just access it from our intellectual minds. What was going to, we had to use the tools of the medium to create the, the thing. So we created a, a, um, a deck in which we put, we poured uh, names like grace or um, loss and then use that deck to sort of help decide which of us was going to write which cards, which qualities were going to stay in. We tried like to 
can you break that down a little? Because I'm imagining, I'm imagining you guys coming together with a bunch of like sacred objects and words that you write and put in a little bowl or something. And you're sort of praying and like starting a ritual. And like, I don't know, what does it look like to for the practical um, mind in us? Like how, mm-hmm. what is that? What was that process like? Um. I mean, I think we sort of first came up with, as Elizabeth mentioned, like, what did we feel like needed to be in the deck? And sometimes it was um, energies, mm-hmm. like um, surrender. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it would come as like, oh, we need a tree, you know, like, like mm-hmm. I mean, so we were kind of coming at it from the qualities that we wanted to name. And we were also coming at it from the beings that we wanted to invite and they would sometimes match up and sometimes we would have to find them a, a partner, you know? Mm-hmm. And so there was, there was a time of just kind of playing with that and seeing um, what fit. And I feel like is, is, I mean, all artists, whatever your medium probably know that you're, you have all these elements and you're just playing with it until it feels like, yes, like that's, that's it. That's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what we're working with here. Yeah. And at that point we then, created like like literally cut out paper put the things on there laid it out 52 of them and then we would draw the cards like we created our own little deck and we would draw a card and then that would be what we were we were writing about so you know and Mm. sometimes Elizabeth would draw like one I really wanted to write about oh (laughs) wow it was really like that surrender to that's not mine to write and for me then I would like if I drew um something then I would pay attention in my life and in the world because that's right. We're in the conversation always. And so much of what an Oracle deck offers is the opportunity to enter a deeper conversation. And so if we were going to bring this thing through, we really had to be in devotion to what the, the possibility is. So to be guided and to be um, not so separate from and so a lot of the material came from what was present in our world and um, not that it was always personal, but it might, it should like for oftentimes felt like it really needed to start there to be authentic. So mm. you could then take that and then, you know, blend it with research or blend it with what we were bringing to it in terms of our own experiences of different traditions and teachings. So it, it was really just kind of a mashup of all of those things and mm. Yeah, I don't know if that's mm. well, and then yeah, beautiful collaboration of writing and then having one another to like, did I get everything that was necessary? Like, okay, this one's about intuition. Like, what's important that's present in this card? And we had each other as a resource as well, and and also to be called out like, oh, well, take it further, you know, push that further. Oh, I love this idea. Let's let's kind of pull it more in that direction. And um, so the I think one of the unexpected or the gifts that came to both of us that we didn't know setting out was that the collaboration was going to create such a richer experience and you know we really believe a a a better offering in the end as well Hi, everybody. Quick interlude here because I want to tell you about my group Radical Awakenings. It's an online community space for wild women, for smart women, for women who love to engage in spiritual practice, who don't go to traditional temple or church, but want to create their own temple space where we can practice embodiment and ritual, where you can stand in front of the group and ask questions, feel your feelings, express your rage, your grief, We can laugh together. We can write together. We can speak and pray in the way that we know in our bones how to do together. So I've been leading spaces like this for a very long time. My first women's circle I led back in 2002. I'm super devoted to creating safe and sacred spaces for women to come together, to play, to express, to embody, to feel, to grieve, to open, to inspire each other. Sacred sisterhood is super important to me and not in some let's fix each other sugar-coated dress all in white version of spirituality. Of course, you know me. That's not how I roll. The women that come to my programs, they're smart, they're change makers, they're visionaries, they're crossing thresholds and initiations, they're going through dark nights of the soul, they've got tattoos, they've got babies, they're birthing books, they're making radical changes in their lives. 
Of course, you don't have to have tattoos or babysitter books in order to be with us, but all are included. We are a beautiful motley crew of women who have one sacred goal to come together to honor these bodies, these hearts, to honor our spiritual practice day to day, not as something we just do on a yoga or meditation retreat, but something that is incorporated and integrated into our lives. We bring rituals into the homes, we make altars, we live by the stars and the moon, we live by the cycles, and we come together to reclaim something that we know to be true. So I would love to invite you to the next iteration of Radical Awakenings. We meet twice a month and you get the recordings if you can't attend live with all kinds of bonuses included in the program as well. So look in the show notes. There's a link to join, bring a friend. We would love to have you, to hold you, to be with you as we all continue to walk this wild and weird human life together. Mm. Thank you. Was there anything else you wanted to add, Elizabeth, about that creative process or that div- divinatory creative process, right? That you guys are kind of, it's, it felt felt really ritualistic a little bit when you're um, first mentioning it, like entering into a sort of ceremonial state. But I'm, I could be also kind of fantasizing my imagination. <laughs> yeah. No, it, it had that. And then it had like, we each had like so little time because we were breastfeeding and our kids. So it's like this mad juggling right. or sometimes bringing the baby, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it, had, it had all those feelings. But just because I do know that the women and the people who listen to you are also people who want to birth their ideas on the practical side of this, the first deck was, um, we knew we had a solid idea, but then there was the hard work of do, bringing an idea into fruition. And so that was just trusting and like, you know, looking up how a book proposal got written, writing mm-hmm. a book proposal, finding an agent. And then, you know, Barnes and Noble was interested. So there was this sense of um, creativity coming through, but then also just the hard work of, yeah. Letting that, like how Elizabeth Gilbert talks about when an idea comes, if you if you say yes and you meet that idea, you have a responsibility to that idea to yeah. bring it forth or that idea will co- go visit someone else and someone else yeah. will write that deck, which is fine. You, you, we don't get to do everything. But we had to rise to the occasion pragmatically and spiritually and um, creatively. Yeah. So... I think a lot of people have ex- many, you know, valid excuses and also not not so valid excuses for, oh, I can't write my book. I don't have an agent. I don't have a, I don't know how to write a proposal. So you guys are saying, you guys, meaning women, are saying that you had two little babies, you're breastfeeding, and you still managed to get all that together. And more babies, I think. <laughs> more babies coming. You're probably also running a home, right? Like you're not. I, do you both have like a staff of five house cleaners and cooks and nannies? Look, people do. People do. So let's be honest. So that if anyone out there is thinking, oh, they probably have a lot of help if they had the space to do that. I just want to clarify that. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. No. And okay. I, yeah. The, and the, um, you know, I, you, you, what needs to happen will happen in the space that you have to make it happen. You know, and I think yeah. that sometimes we put off our projects and I've had that experience too, almost because I have so much space, like Mm -hmm. I'll get to it, but I'm doing something else now, you know, um, this feeling of there is enough time and much the opposite experience when we started on this path, they're like, there is no time. Like Mm -hmm. we need this thing. We need it now. And we only have a very limited amount of time to pull this through. But, but that really concentrates the, the energy, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's like that fire hose of like, okay, it's got a, it's coming now. And, and yes, you know, you were wondering like the, what, what did that look like? You know, we, we do ritual, we do call in, we, we asked for help. We asked for participation. That was very much a part yeah. of it because getting out of our way so that we could help be the voice of something that wanted to come through is very much present for both of us. And so for us to invite the participation of that greater um, was really important. 
And ultimately, mm-hmm. that's why we created a deck, you know, and didn't want to say, okay, well, we're going to divide this down in half and you do these. And, you know, there's a way in which you can so quickly go into the mind. And we wanted to make sure that we mm-hmm. um, created the conditions for us to get out of the mind and out of our way and into the body and into, you know, the the sacred field. So, yeah, yeah that did happen. So. Yeah. Well, I find it to be really inspiring um, just because I know how many people struggle to follow an idea and believe that they're worthy or that the idea is worthy of even even putting energy into it, not even, let's say, being published, but even just writing it, right? Like I see people block themselves with a hundred thing reasons why. Dr. Clarissa Pimpola Estes talks about this in her you know, in very important book, Women Who Run With the Wolves, but she talks about how she, you know, would see a woman clean the house, do everything but sit and write. There's always a reason why, like, I can't even sit and write. I have so much to do. And the idea that even when you have so much to do, and you're actually in a pressure cooker of life, whether it's job, marriage, motherhood, something's creating that that even then it's possible. Did you have doubts about that? Did you, were you like, and this can apply to either deck. Are there, mo- were there moments where you wanted to abandon ship or before you even got to the, to the drawing table, so to speak, you wondered if the project was worthy of people's love or attention or worthy of your, even your time. Did those doubts or insecurities or voices of fear or resistance crop up along the way? And if so, what did they look like and sound like? Hmm. Um, I mean, it helped for me that we had the Shambhala with this deck asked us to do it. So it wasn't like, maybe this will fly and maybe it won't. That was felt like a little bit of a net. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it would be for me, um, working with Jenny and seeing her give life to these words, um, that would be like, when we'd see the card that she drew, I'd be like, this is, it was so powerful, the image. Um, and I know that people, their first take, even though a lot on the back end was the writing writing and the cards, that the first um, meeting with the deck is really the image and mm-hmm. then the, the word on it. But um, that was sort of the, the proof that we were on the right path because she was creating these beautiful images that I find in a lot of decks, they're too overwrought they're too um they don't land in me the way her art um meets my eye and so when she they her art is just um I don't know how to say it it's got this simple um original iconic and um archetypal and um just beautiful imagery that would just be like oh yeah we're on to something these are fucking beautiful you know Mm, mm, mm. so that was helpful yeah so seeing the the having someone else outside of the the dyad of the two of you who is bringing those ideas to life which is really cool i think when you're working with any kind of visual medium or you're in collaboration it's almost like there's you know, there are other people to hold you accountable because there are other players on the team. And um, usually what I found in collaboration is like not everyone's having a wobble at the same time. You know, one person may be like, oh, God, I don't know. I hate this project now. But like (laughs) someone else is still really onboarded. And, you know, there are just those days that happen, I think, in any project where you're tired of it, you're ready for it to be done, or you're unsure, you're at a crossroads. And I can only imagine you know, seeing an idea brought to an image that someone else has translated is so enlivening in a way. Um, anything else you wanted to add, Nikki, to that around the sort of how to how you dealt with or faced any voices of resistance or fear or doubt along the way with either project? 
yeah. I mean, I think um, I really love, I think Elizabeth Gilbert speaks to it so beautifully, but you know, that idea of the genie or the genius, like the, the muse, you know, and how often we get tripped up by our ego, like thinking it's about us. And so there's something really wonderful that we were able to tap into because the Oracle deck, um, it's so clearly not about us. You know, like I think any project that somebody's putting out in the world, it's really a, an offering about who's going to receive it. But in this case, too, like it was very clear that it wasn't coming from us. It was coming through us. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is really the case for any creative project. But other projects may pop up more ego and thinking like, oh, it's really God, the burden is on me, you know, mm-hmm. and that where we can get tripped up and second guess ourselves and wonder if it's good enough or am I the mm-hmm. one to do it? And, um, I think that the way that we were in service to something beyond ourselves kind of kept us clearer on that. And sure. There were moments where we wondered if we were the ones to do it or if we had the time or, you know, there's roadblocks for sure, but we also, you know, we were, essentially asking for the divine to participate with us. And it was a clear invitation. Whereas, you know, in other books, um, other book projects, there's not as clear of an invitation, you know, even in other book projects that I've worked on. So in this case, it was much easier to stay like, okay, this is not about me. Like mm. if I'm, if I'm doing this, it's because I'm, I'm, this is mine to do. And Clarissa Pincola Estes talks about the promesa. Like this is part of what I'm here to do. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. if we can connect to that when we set, set out on a project, like, is this mine to do? You know, did I catch the idea because I'm the one that has the the conditions and the skills and the, you know, whatever to bring this into, into being? Then, like, it's almost like create a little altar just to that. So when you, you lose sight of it, you can come back to that and be like, okay, no, I'm feeling kind of shitty today, but this is bigger than me. So yeah. let me get back to it. Yeah. I love that when I was thinking as you're speaking, it's like the, it's like relieving the self-identification with the project. And so uh, there's like a healthy non-attachment. And I found that that's so liberating as an artist. Mm -hmm. I'm like, look, this is what's coming through. I don't even know. I cannot, it just is what it is, you know? Um, and, and a lot of t- times I, I'm like, I don't want to do that. Like the, the I, my I doesn't want to do it. Like, I didn't want to call my, my book fuck like a goddess, you know, but I had to sit with that. Um, cause that's what I was being asked to do. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to have to like kind of annihilate my own ego to be with that and bear the discomfort of that. But that's what I'm being asked to do. And you know, it's real, it is, it is, it is ego annihilating to create something and to not put your own worth in the creation, but to just allow the creation to be its own entity. And of course, I think there is like a reciprocal relationship of love and abundance that can happen between you and that entity of, of art. Um, and yeah, it, it, is, it, is it similar to having a child? Like, I don't know. <laughs> People use that comparison a lot. I don't, uh, I don't know, because I haven't had that lived experience. But is it similar in a way to like that sort of healthy non-attachment, not identifying so much with your kid or? Yeah, I think that the uh, time frame of raising a child is a little longer than most creative projects, right. but very similar. And I, I feel this, like when the deck is published, like there's this beautiful moment when you receive it and you're like, God, I really hope I like this thing. Cause you know, I, <laughs> you know, now I'm holding it in my hands. And then there's this like, um, moment of acknowledging like, wow, there it is. And now mm-hmm. it's not, like it, now it stand right. on, stands on its own and then off it goes. And you have this dedication to continue to support it and get mm-hmm. it out there in the world and, and give it what it needs to do its work. But then at a certain point, and, you know, I think one of the beautiful things about the Mother's Wisdom deck, you said at one time, it was sort of like this cult following, you know, like, we don't even know where it ended up, but we'd get these, you know, e- emails or things from like, other side of the world and just like how in the world did they ever find it but you know that it's out there doing right. it's work it had nothing to do with us and yeah. 
Um, so that's a beautiful thing. And it's similar to really, you know, yeah. letting a child go into the world and be on their yeah. own path. Right. It felt yeah. like it was its own entity and we were along for the ride. But another thing about the making of this, this one was that it came during the pandemic. And so mm-hmm. it was the timing of it was really special because we had so much time and hunger to dig deep into something. And I'm just thinking now that what's cool is that we're using the deck as a way of creating community and doing these events with women. But when we made the deck, everyone was, it was really the height of lockdown and there was so much isolation and Mm. loneliness. Um, For me anyways, because I was, you know, I was living with roommates and um, my kids half time. and, And so this project that was born out of a longing for, Mm. Um, community now is coming in to serve that role now it is really fulfilling that dream Mm. that probably could only come through that pressure as um, Nikki was talking about of being in this very focused solitude with so much taken away that Mm. it was very clear what we were hungry for Mm. now we get to um, partake of this the you know what we're to eat a feast <laughs> yeah to break bread together I cool. love that I love the the just the acknowledgement that something is born from our hunger and our longing or something is born from a prayer or something is born from our pain and suffering and that that's okay you know that that's actually beautiful like something has to emerge from something. Um, and that there's a process that we're divinely led to and that I love hearing that word hunger and longing like that, that, that drove creation, right? Like that drove you guys towards creation. Um, and I, I wish for many, many humans to listen to that hunger and longing and not just place the displaced hunger and longing and you know, television and food and alcohol and, you know, numbing, but place the hunger and longing and in something that is driving towards the satiation of community or gathering or healing or um, not to just use hippity dippity kind of terminology, but like, because it could be anything, it doesn't have to just be community or healing or whatever. But um, I think there's a lot of misplaced hunger and longing in today's world. Mm -hmm. you know and I think the role of an artist is that we listen to it and we channel it we don't question it always we're not we choose not to be ashamed of it you know of the hunger or the longing and we're like I'm actually going to let this lead me somewhere and not question it or maybe question it a little bit but then (laughs) um there was something that that was that I was wanting to ask while you all were speaking. Hold on, um, let me think. What was that? What was that? Mm. So this deck, so the first deck was for mothers and was speaking to you all's journey as a mother. And then this deck, the wild and sacred feminine deck. I'm so curious. The word feminine. I am, I'm actually really grateful for the use of the word feminine, even though it can be a word that's overused, exploited, misused. I don't know who might even say it's misused. People can use it however they want to, but it's widely used in many a different way. Um, what made you all choose to use the word feminine or deck, like a feminine deck? The wild and sacred feminine deck. What was that choice? Oh, I mean, I think the invitation originally was coming out of the Mother's Wisdom deck. And so it was like, well, we want to take this and we want to expand it so that it can reach more people. So let's make a deck for women. And then we kind of went, well, that's not maybe quite what we want to do. We actually want to speak to the sacred feminine that is um, not going to be exclusive because we really feel like what we touched into in the mother's wisdom deck, we had a lot of men use the deck too. Mm. And so like, what is that, that archetypally, you know, as a, like in the mother, that's kind of what we were working with. But in this case, we could expand it further. So like, let's look at the feminine and um, what is that? And and then 
right? Sometimes you say yes to something and you're like, whoa, we kind of bit off like way more than we maybe intended Mm -hmm. to. But then you rise to it. And so we had these beautiful conversations about what is the feminine to us? Like, what does that mean? Where do we love how it's used? Where do we not like how it's being used? What do we want to add to that conversation so that we're not just kind of following along? What do we think needs to be healed? Um, the deck became, especially in the context of the pandemic, really sort of like a restorative project. Like, mm-hmm. wow, we have done this to humanity and also to the earth. Like we're kind of being estranged from from vitality, which is the feminine, from the earth, which is the feminine, from one another and community, which feels like the feminine. So how can we come into better relationship with the feminine? And part of that then is to learn how to recognize it within ourselves and to um, feed that holiness within ourselves. And then that's the sacred, right? That sort of like that eternal quality that we were working with. And then the wild just kept wanting to come in there you know Mm. and I think that it's actually since the deck has been out in the world that we've really sat with like what is the wild then like we get what was the sacred feminine but why did we feel so compelled to include the wild and you know it was present the whole time but then having when you're uh voicing it on podcasts or wherever like what is that wild and why Mm. is that so to the feminine and that's been a really fun continue like process for us of um of inviting people into the sacred feminine but leaving open that door to the wild which is really the unknown and the unknowable which really is what we love about the feminine like we don't want to be put in a box right so let's leave the door open that doesn't happen we can't know like how far this this energy can go and all the forms it can take and one of the things that we recognized and with the feminine is it's really like all inclusive and it's more, more, more. It's not like, Oh no, that's not me. That's not, you know, that that's something that our culture maybe has put on the feminine, but it's not what we found to be true in working this way with Mm. um, the feminine as it wanted to come through this deck. So the Mm. wild kind of touches that, um, Mm. that truth. Awesome. And what about you, Elizabeth? What was your sort of take on using, yeah, the words sacred feminine or just using feminine? Yeah, um, I think Nikki described it really well, but I did sometimes struggle with it as another. Well, I guess um, we both feel, I mean, the balance between masculine and feminine is slightly off. (laughs) It's a patriarchy thing. But, um, so to redress that balance, the feminine needs to come in <laughs> in a way she, in a way that um, uh, also disrupts some of the narratives of what feminine is. But one thing I like about the feminine is that sense of imminency versus abstraction. It is here and now, not later, and in a diff- It's it's very messy and real and potent and inclusive Mm. and I love that and then there are times when I'm like when you get all the way in all the way through there is no feminine or masculine like all those things drop away but um, for this project uh, the feminine seemed right and appropriate and needed Yeah, I'm all for the wild and sacred, though, too, without any yeah. sense of um, any container around it. Yeah. I think it's like holding that absolute and relative truth simultaneously and like the relativity at the relative truth of the moment is like, you know, the feminine and anything other than the than the, you know, cis masculine has been highly denigrated, you know, right. uh, anything other. Right. Like, um all sorts of peoples over these last however many hundreds of thousands of years. And so as much as I think we want to sort of like, I'm ready to like be over all of the distinctions too, but they're still so alive as to who's making decisions around our planet's future and um, what, what goes into our food and how our bodies are treated. And I wish we could sort of zip into the next timeline where it it what did had nothing to do with gender, you know, and you could look at the heads of all the big companies and corporations and go, oh, there's no gender specific, you know, like there's no pattern here. 
<laughs> but you know, we're just still in that really kind of mucky relative space where um, there's a lot of repair to do. You know, it's like all of the ruptures that have been happening for so many years. Um, and there needs to be repair, you know? So I think having a deck that honors that I personally, um, you know, of the mindset that, that it's necessary and that the feminine is something that is within everyone and everything. Um, and yeah, when we drop the body, do we, will it matter, you know, but, um, yeah, but I think for now it does, it does matter in our relative world so much. Um, Oh, sorry. I was going to say that feminine is the body. Like, you know, like we, it's, it is so much about the incarnation. And so like working with the relative, working with what is, um, in the flesh and in the senses and in the, you know, like that. Yes. Presencing that in a more, in a bolder way in our world. Like, let's not, um, abstract or detached yeah. or like let's no let's drop in let's connect let's be in the body let's be in our our embodied experience and that's so much of the feminine and if, if you can't acknowledge that then then the whole part of our um, being here is <laughs> lost <laughs> absolutely and I think somebody's phone's ringing it's telling yeah. me it's time to close up shop Alexandra which we are we are we are and I just wanted to you know respond to what you said which is um, that whether it's certain religious or spiritual paths that asked, asked historically for us to forget the body or forget the senses or forget the earth or nowadays technology, you know, sort of asking mm-hmm. people to um, kind of forget the body and go deeper into potential worlds of VR or AI or whatever. I really appreciate those of us who are really committed to taking a stand for um, the body's still here, baby. The earth is still here. Like, you know, we're not going to disappear into our screens yet. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, we're all here. We're pooping. We're, you know, needing to be fed. Um, the body is very much part of our experience. Um, and yet it is kind of terrifying at times to see how humanity is going further into this kind of transhuman experience. We'll see what happens. I have no idea. Um, I feel like I could keep talking with you all for a while, but I'm going to honor our time here and just would love to hear um, where people can find you and the deck, if there are any upcoming projects or opportunities that you all have for people to connect with you and just, yeah. Well, the book is on on Shambhala Publications and it's also on Amazon and other places like that to order. Um, here in uh, the front range of Colorado, we're offering a ton, t- a lot of different types of journeys and experiences with the deck, but that's a very small segment of your listeners. Um, we hope to next year launch into b- some retreats across the nice. country because um, we feel like there's a draw and, a, and like we talked about a hunger. Um, and our website is thewildandsacredfeminine.com.com. Wild and sacred, it's all spelled out with letters. Yeah. Wild and sacred feminine.com. Okay, great. And it's the wild and sacred feminine deck, you all. So find it wherever you know you find your decks. And do you all have an Instagram account for the wild yeah. and sacred feminine deck? Okay, do. cool. Yep. So, and I would say, you know, because of that hunger and that longing, um, you know, if you get a deck, share it with your people. Like, it's so, yeah. it's so beautiful, like what we've loved doing. Um, in the in our community, extended community, like in this area, um, is just using it to open deep, relevant conversations about where people are out in their lives. So um, use it with your your loved ones and your you know whether they're friends or like just dive in. Awesome. Well, I've so enjoyed having it, and I'm going to keep playing with it and enjoying it and dialoguing with it and. I hope everyone goes out there and buys a deck and gets to know you all and your wisdom and your work. It's so powerful to be able to sit with two mamas, authors, creators, fellow walkers of the path who are, you know, a few steps ahead of me. It's always so nice. I'm like, please, I have a hunger for more of that. So um, I really appreciate you all taking the time today. 
Thank you. Yeah, thanks yeah, for your um, be with you. really provocative and thoughtful and grounded questions. I love them. Great, great. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. For more, 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 follow me on IG at Alexandra Roxo, and you can get on my mailing list where I send poems, practices, rituals, links to upcoming retreats and events, and all kinds of goodies. And if this podcast has touched your heart, please let us know. Please write us a review, give us a five-star rating, all that. It means a lot to myself and everyone involved. Big, big love, my darling. Have a fabulous day and see you again very soon.